Welcome to the Self-Care Goddess Podcast, brought to you by me, Rita Savoya, founder of Savoya Self-Care Holistic Wellness. I'm a certified nutritionist and a holistic wellness coach for midlife women who want to rediscover their happier, sexier selves naturally without pills or side effects so that they can thrive as they age. I'm also the creator of the Savoya Self-Care Method, empowering women to nurture heart, mind, and body for transformative results. I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to help millions of midlife women become their own health heroes. As a woman entrepreneur and a caregiver to aging parents, I fully understand the many responsibilities and generally stressful times women are living through these days, often suffering in silence, misunderstood, and putting themselves last. That's why each week I will be here for you, guiding you on your personal wellness journey, sharing expert advice from thought leaders on natural, practical, and simple solutions to help you thrive during the midlife transition. Get ready to listen to inspiring conversations about all things wellness, nutrition, mindset, mental health, fasting, hormones, menstrual cycle awareness and sinking, ancient healing strategies like meditation, mindfulness and breath work, and spirituality. Every month, I will also be featuring a small to medium-sized business to help spread the word on the amazing work they're doing so we can support them. And now, without further ado, let's get ready to rumble. Happy listening! Hello, lovely ladies, self-care goddesses. Thank you for joining us today. And today we have a special guest returning because we had such an awesome time last time recording a bunch of information that I'm sure you have listened to. And if you have not had the chance to listen to part one of this podcast show, please do because we went through some amazing symptoms that uh, Chris will actually recap for us a little bit um, after my introduction. So we we have Chris Lamont here today, returning to our podcast. So welcome, welcome. He is a clinical herbalist, speaker, educator, and manufacturer of herbal remedies. He's a graduate of the International College of Herbal Medicine, founded by world-renowned herbalist Isla Burgess. He also completed an 11-year apprenticeship in clinical herbal therapy and medicine manufacturing. Chris became a registered herbalist and member of the Ontario Herbalists Association in 2014 and has been a member of the board of directors of the OHA since 2015. He now practices clinical herbal medicine in the Hamilton area. Thank you, Chris, for being back here. It's always awesome to see you and to share all the good knowledge that you have with our listeners. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and welcome. Hello again, and thank you for, uh, for having me back. I had a great time in our last meeting, and uh, I'm looking forward to finishing up what we started this time. Awesome. So as you know, on this show, we help a lot of women um, naturally thrive during the midlife transition called perimenopause by embracing self-care activities. And there are numerous symptoms that are associated with this change. And But today we're going to specifically talk about the symptoms, but also the herbal remedies. And so that our listeners can probably adopt these or work with a practitioner such as yourself to alleviate some of these symptoms and maybe perhaps even avoid them because we talked a lot about prevention last time. So if you missed the episode, once again, you'll get to hear Chris's story and why he's doing what he's doing and also catch up on a couple of those um, symptoms. Which symptoms did we go through last time? Can you remind us, Chris? 
Yes. Last time we spoke about uh, weight gain, insomnia, hot flashes and night sweats, mood swings. And um, I think that was it. Those four were the main ones that we, that we spoke about. With hot flashes, often night sweats are kind of fit under the same umbrella. So. Amazing. So we do have a couple more and then some case studies as well. And we do want to leave you with some practical strategies that you can start today and to help alleviate or prevent some of these symptoms. So before mm. we begin, I know you have a, an overall sort of approach that you want to share with our listeners. Absolutely. And, and I'm glad you mentioned the idea of working with a practitioner because there, there's so much information on the internet right now. I, I, one of the things that I commonly uh, deal with are patients who have self-medicated, usually after self-diagnosis, and, and often um, they've made choices which actually complicate the issue. So we had kind of have to undo what Dr. Google has suggested and then you know, set down a, a new foundation. So that's really important. Um, because perimenopause is so complex and can look like so many different, um, specific situations, uh, the treatments vary quite a bit. Um, I always custom formulate for people because no two people are the same. However, there is, um, a, a strategy or two that I can use and recommend as sort of a foundational approach for everybody. And this speaks to the root cause of what's going on in the body during that transition. A couple of things that uh, are really important across the board, and this is because, you know, we're seeing a, a, a down regulation of reproductive hormones. Um, that's sort of what's behind um, uh, this transition in the first place. There are some herbs which can help to balance female reproductive hormones. Uh, we were talking a little bit about chase tree berry or vitex uh, last time and dong kwai or um, angelica sinensis. Those are a couple of common herbs that I use to balance hormones. And then the phytoestrogenic herbs, uh, which kind of mimic what our own internal or endogenous estrogen does. It's sort of like a herbal hormone replacement therapy, but um, it's not usually as powerful. And what we're trying to do with those two classes of herbs is just make the transition a little smoother. So we're not seeing the wild fluctuations in estrogen that we would otherwise. And we're also, you know, supplying a bit of an estrogenic effect where that has been lacking. Um, so on a, you know, directly hormonal level, uh, those are a couple of things that I usually offer all of my, uh, perimenopausal patients. Um, and then, uh, a more supportive approach, uh, or secondary approach would be liver support and adrenal support. The liver and the adrenals both have an important role in, um, in hormone function, um, whether we're in perimenopause or not. The liver plays a role in the breakdown and elimination of excess hormones. Um, and then the adrenals, when the ovaries uh, start to produce less and less estrogen, the adrenals uh, take over because they do make a sm much smaller amount um, of estrogen and progesterone, but they do make some. So we want to, ahead of time, before perimenopause sets in, we want to try to... Uh, achieve optimal liver function and uh, adrenal health at the same time. Thank you for that. And the interesting part about the adrenals is that they, their primary um, actual function, they'll always uh, favor the primary function, mm. which is not making estrogen, right? Right. So 
So basically, if you are taxing your adrenals and you're super stressed, then it's going to help to mitigate that as opposed to make the estrogen. So that's quite important um, for Absolutely. our listeners to know. Absolutely. And, and so one of the things that we, that we like to do to help support the adrenals is uh, deal with stress. Um, and that can be a lifestyle thing. It can be a dietary thing. There are so many different forms of stress. Um, uh, and, and by introducing herbs again ahead of time to try to mitigate the negative effects of stress, we can really take some of the workload off of the adrenals and that will allow them to you know, avoid exhaustion and, and to function normally throughout. Uh, so that's a really effective strategy. Yes. And maybe we'll have you back on talking about the adrenals. Absolutely. Let's keep <laughs> going. Third time. Yes. <laughs> so let's um, go on to, um, I guess, a very, very mm-hmm. prominent um, symptom, which is migraine. So some mm-hmm. headaches are caused by blood vessels in the head narrowing, possibly as a result of, again, the culprit declining estrogen levels that happens during the perimenopausal transition years. So Mm -hmm. since estrogen dilates blood vessels, so it makes sense, it's declining. So it's not able to do that. And Mm -hmm. um, obviously it's affecting the blood flow. So is that how you would describe um, why migraines happen during this uh, stage of our lives? Well, that's been sort of the prominent theory, uh, for quite a while now, there there are some other theories that um, would suggest that it's a lot more com- complex than that, and that there are obviously um, you know hormonal factors, um, but also neurotransmitter uh, issues. Serotonin, uh, we were talking about that a little bit last time. Um, that has been um, connected to migraines uh, theoretically um, recently, and it's it's not well understood. And that's what makes this particular symptom, uh, whether it's in perimenopause or, or premenstrual uh, migraines, uh, it's very difficult to, uh, to improve. There are some things that we can do. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> uh, and herbs can play a role in that. Uh, th- this is, a, again, because it's so complex and not well understood, this is a, a symptom that... Um, tends to take some time uh, and some attention to, to deal with. Um, what's really interesting is that <clears throat> um, as hormones change, uh, migraine attacks can change as well. So um, sometimes uh, migraines actually improve during perimenopause. Sometimes they get worse. So uh, it's, again, it's a very individual kind of a situation um, there have been some studies recently <clears throat> that have shown uh, that for about half of women, migraines tend to get worse during perimenopause. Um, you know, about 30 to 40% of women don't really notice much of a difference. And then a smaller portion, about 15% of women actually do notice an improvement. So, so I'm hoping that everyone here that wrestles with migraines uh, is in that 15%. <laughs> okay. So there is some good news. 15%. <clears throat> I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. It's not that encouraging, but but with um, the women who see a worsening of migraines, we do have some some herbs that can help. Uh, obviously, as we mentioned before, we're going to try to regulate hormones to take that aggravating factor out of the picture. Um, we do have some herbs which are traditionally used to prevent migraines, regardless of the cause. 
um, herbs like feverfew and butterbur and ginger and things like that, which which have a kind of a hit and miss effect. Um, but I, I usually will try to introduce uh, at least one or two of them uh, in the hopes that they help. Uh, if if they do, um, or if they don't, really, we've still got some options. We have analgesic herbs, which um, which help to reduce pain. Um, we have nervous system tonics, which can help to quiet nervous system hyperactivity, take a little bit of the edge off. Um, and then again, uh, one of the things we talked about in the last episode was the role that gut health plays in nervous system function. And so we can, uh, we have all kinds of herbs, which can help to improve gut health, uh, which tends to have a reflex effect on nervous system health. Um, and then more specifically, the gut microbiome, which is responsible for producing an enormous amount of neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine. Um, uh, again, serotonin being connected with, with migraines uh, in some studies. If we can normalize the production of those neurotransmitters through building up the gut microbiome, um, then, you know, that puts people in a, in a better position to be able to, to uh, improve that migraine picture. Um, one of the the non-herbal things that I usually suggest right away is for people to avoid uh, dietary migraine triggers. And unfortunately, the the three things at the top of the list are cheese, chocolate, and sugar, which often when we're feeling poorly are the foods that we reach for. But um, but they've been shown to to uh, aggravate that situation. So uh, you know, processed foods, artificial sweeteners, color uh, colors, um, all the naughty foods. Uh, uh, if we can eliminate those from the diet, again, that's going to put us in a better position. And we should be avoiding these anyway if we want to strive for <laughs> longevity as we age and, and we want to thrive through through those years as well. So I'm not, maybe the chocolate, if it's dark chocolate, you know, yeah, maybe there you go. There you go. cheese, right? Mm -hmm. From Sardinia, maybe. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, that's awesome. Really, really good information. Thank you for that. Uh, considering it's such a complex symptom to handle, I think you've made um, some really good points here. And I do remember the analgesic herbs, so you'll be very proud of me. For those that don't know, um, Chris was my instructor at IHN for um, my herbal class, so I remember that one very, very... Um, you, you have done familiar. a good job at hanging on to that information. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So our next um, symptom is vaginal thinning and dryness, which obviously makes um, sexual intercourse really, really painful. Um, mm -hmm. So talk to us a little bit about that. Okay. So really our next three symptoms, vaginal dryness and thinning, changes in libido and frequent urinary tract infections are all connected. Um, and this uh, has sort of been given an unfortunate label of female sexual dysfunction. <laughs> uh, and so this is, uh, this is the cause of an awful lot of stress, um, not just for perimenopausal women, but uh, it, it's something that um, has a profound impact on other symptoms of perimenopause, like mood, for example. Um, it, it's something that doesn't get talked about. It, it's something, it's a subject that has a lot of shame around it, a lot of guilt around it, and um, you know, can really be uh, detrimental to our our own feelings of health and value and self worth, but also can negatively affect our obviously our romantic relationships quite a bit as well. 
Um, and this again, it just traces back to hormone fluctuations and imbalance. Um, and so, you know, the, the dryness and thinning um, can result, as you mentioned, in painful intercourse um, in spite of sexual desire. So it's not just, um, you know, um, you, you have lowered libido and therefore your vagina responds. They can be independent of each other. Um, but essentially what's happening is that the, um, the, the vaginal wall and its ability to produce uh, lubrication uh, atrophies uh, to a certain degree. Um, and this can also result in other symptoms, right? Itching, uh, bleeding sometimes, which, uh, uh, which can also be connected to a risk of infection, right? If that mucous membrane is not functioning properly, um, then our, uh, like the microbiome in the gut, there's a vaginal microbiome as well. And that is charged largely with uh, preventing infection. And so if the, the microbiome is not intact, which it can't be if the mucous membrane is not intact, well, then obviously pathogenic bacteria are going to have an easier time getting set up. Uh, so with the, the thinning and drying of the vaginal wall in particular, um, of course, the, the, main, um, uh, the main solution is going to be uh, those phytoestrogenic and hormone balancing herbs uh, we also have a class of herbs called aphrodisiac uh, herbs, which can stimulate libido and, and in some cases can actually increase blood flow to the genitals. And, and that can, uh, in some cases, kind of kickstart um, the health of the vaginal wall. Um, one of the most effective approaches, however, is a topical one, and that is to infuse oil with, um, with herbs that are called vulneraries. And these are herbs which um, can help to stimulate epithelial cell production or skin cell production uh, and can help to heal wounds or speed up the healing of wounds. So I'm, I'm thinking about herbs like comfrey and calendula and plantain. Um, when you infuse coconut oil, um, tends to be my favorite, uh, when you infuse coconut oil with those herbs, uh, you're not only getting lubrication from the coconut oil, but you're also now introducing the herbs directly to the tissues that need them. When you combine that with um, the hormonal um, changes that we can initiate with herbs, uh, we, get, we get sort of an internal and external approach at the same time, and that can really produce uh, good results. Um, now, having said all that, this is a, a situation where um, addressing our attitude towards not just sex, but the transition of menopause is really, really important. You know, that one of the things that, that women deal with on an emotional level and don't often talk about um, is the fact that, you know, menopause means that uh, life as a woman is over, and uh, particularly where sex is concerned. And, and that's not true. I mean, people are enjoying sex into their, their very late years nowadays. And... Um, and we can uh, and we can help them along, if if through nothing other than just having a conversation about it. Um, so if we can reduce symptoms, if we can improve lubrication and the strength of the vaginal wall, if we can increase libido, all of these things are possible. Um, then our sex life is going to improve, and that just cascades into everything else. So, is there anything that we should be avoiding? 
Um, really, you know, obviously there, there are a list of foods um, that should be avoided. We kind of touched on those previously processed foods, uh, foods that contain um, additives. Um, you know, if you, if you kind of stick to the outside of the grocery store where all the fresh mm-hmm. stuff is, you know, yeah, that's the perimeter. <laughs> yeah. And then for women, uh, douching is really something that uh, should be avoided, in my opinion, at all times. Um, that's going to rinse away your natural lubrication, uh, but it also washes away that that friendly bacteria, which is keeping your vagina healthy. Um, and, and the process itself can actually introduce bacteria too. So I think that's, that's something that should be avoided for sure. And um, are there any contraindications for women that are breastfeeding? Because they also go through sort of a temporary vaginal thinning and dryness because of their because they're breastfeeding. So is there for these um, herbs that you've identified comfrey, calendula, and plantain, is there a contraindication if you're breastfeeding or no? Not, not topically. No, that, not topically. that infused oil um, is, is perfectly safe to use topically for breastfeeding women. Some of the internal things uh, should definitely be uh, checked with a, a, a qualified practitioner um, because certain things do make it through the breast milk. Um, and that goes double for pregnancy. Uh, there's a, a quite a good list of herbs that need to be handled with caution during pregnancy. So yes, uh, I would I would definitely run that by somebody who's got some training. But um, in this situation, that um, that uh, that lube, <laughs> the <laughs> coconut oil with those herbs infused in it, uh, topically is not something to be concerned about. Amazing. Thank you. And so do we want to talk about the changes in libido? I think we should, because that's a very common uh, symptom and one that uh, people tend to be quite anxious about. Um, So uh, I I always love to refer to Aviva Ram. She's a bit of a hero of mine. Oh, she's totally a hero of mine. Um, And she deals with... um, female reproductive health almost exclusively. Uh, and she, I got this quote from her, um, from her book on uh, women's reproductive health. And it says, I quote, sexual response in women is highly variable and multifaceted, including a complex interplay of physiologic, physiological, oh, sorry, physiologic, psychological, and interpersonal components. I just love that. It's, it's way better than just saying women are complicated. Um, exactly. She's amazing. I like her. She's amazing. And, and I love the fact that she specified interpersonal components because libido is not an isolated thing on, on its own. Um, you know, even if we're practicing self-pleasure, um, our feelings about our relationships with others uh, often play a role in, in our feelings about ourselves as a sexual creature to begin with. So uh, I think that's really important to, uh, to point out. And where libido and and also uh, vaginal atrophy are concerned. Um, if you are engaging in partnered sex, your, your partner has the ability to support you. Uh, and, and having a conversation about that can release all kinds of pressure and stress um, around this issue, for sure. Um, so there are some, there are quite a few actually reasons for a decline in libido. So obviously the, in this conversation, the the first thing would be a decline in hormone levels. Um, That's for sure. Uh, There are anatomical changes that happen. We just discussed them. Those, those um, uh, issues around vaginal dryness and atrophy. If, if your sexual organs are not 
functioning the way you're used to, that can negatively impact your desire to engage in sexual activity. Um, they are not separate, that's for sure. Uh, then we've got psychosocial changes again. This is something Aviva referred to. So that's really around our, our thoughts of self-image, self-value. Um, you know, if you don't feel sexy, you're not going to feel sexy. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so there are some things that we can do to change our thought patterns around this. Uh, and again, that can be a conversation you have with yourself. It can also be a conversation you have with your partner if, uh, if you're comfortable doing that. Relationship dynamics, of course, um, play an important role in that. And then, you know, your, your sexual history, the lessons that you were taught about sex, um, uh, you know, as a younger person, definitely play a role um, in, in, uh, in this kind of situation. There are a number of, of online groups and courses that you can engage in that really encourage making peace with your sexual self. And, uh, um, you know, I know a few women who've, who've enrolled in these programs and the results that they have, specifically in terms of their attitudes towards their own sexuality are, are just amazing. It's so inspiring to see um, how communities of women can come together and, and overcome these negative thought patterns. You know, women's sexuality is not something that our society has embraced very well until just recently, and it's still a struggle. So um, lots of resources out there, which is great. Herbally speaking, uh, we have a couple of uh, classes of herbs that can be quite helpful. Female sexual tonics, um, some of these are stress-related, some of these are hormone-related, some of these, oh, there's one that's actually called horny goat weed, which I just love that, <laughs> and kind of says it all. Um, that, so that appropriate, yes. I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> and that, that helps um, in terms of libido, both for men and women. There's some crossover there. Uh, and then we have um, dedicated herbal aphrodisiacs. Um, so we've got things like... Um, Shatavari, that's one that's uh, gaining in popularity. We've got cannabis, um, that's quite a well-known libido stimulant. Uh, ginseng, uh, Damiana, there, there's a bunch that can really help to improve libido uh, on a, uh, a biochemical level, on a nervous system level, and uh, also, you know, so in some cases, by increasing blood supply to the genitalia. So there's lots of different stuff that we can do. One of the main things, though, is dealing with the stress that comes along with, um, you know, having an impaired libido. Again, that comes up stress, every single symptom, right? Yeah. I think we can attribute levels of stress or the lack of managing our stress levels can really result in either aggravating the symptom or, you know, just showing up. So very, mm -hmm. very important. And I love the fact that you brought up the whole community because um, that is so important, especially with getting the conversation started and really affiliating yourself with some really strong, powerful, empowering women, just like yourselves, just like our listeners. And it reminds me of this African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you mm -hmm. want to go far, go together. So. Oh, yeah, super cool and so appropriate. And yeah, I love that. You can, and now with Facebook groups and all, all kinds of other groups, it's really, really easy to sort of find and connect with such powerful women. Mm -hmm. So thanks for sharing that for sure. So how are frequent UTIs, how is that all connected? 
Right. So, so back to the conversation about the, uh, the vaginal drying and the, and the microbiome. Uh, that's, that's what's at play here. So as your uh, vaginal tissue thins and stops producing the, um, the same amount of lubrication, it's basi- basically about the mucous membrane uh, that we're talking about. And, and that is where the vaginal microbiome lives. So when there's less fluid, um, as a result, there's going to be less of that microbiome available to keep you healthy. Um, and it plays a huge role in keeping pathogenic bacteria at bay. Um, and so uh, by, by doing that or by losing the ability to do that, we are now more prone to infection. Um, there, there is a, uh, a, a very short urethra that we're dealing with, and there is a very close proximity to the anus, um, which is um, a, a source of bacteria. There are a number of things at play, but, but the reason that it's an issue in menopause or perimenopause is because of a, a lack of production of that lubrication. Um, and so we have a number of things that we can do to improve the situation. Um, we can uh, in, introduce probiotics. So there's a few different ways to do that. There's obviously um, you know, eating fermented foods like pickles, sauerkraut, um, kimchi, yogurt, um, tempeh, things like that. Uh, but we can also introduce those topically too. So I know, I know it might seem uh, bizarre to some people to think about putting yogurt inside of you, but, but again, that's introducing what you need directly to the area that needs it. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and that goes a long way, whether you have a yeast infection in the vagina or you have frequent urinary tract infections as well. Um, so for UTIs, uh, again, you know, we're going to get to the root cause of things and we're going to introduce, uh, some hormone balancing herbs and some phytoestrogenic herbs, uh, and then to deal with the infections themselves, um, an important factor in this uh, is to increase um, urine production. So diuretic herbs, which act very, very quickly. (laughs) Um, Things like dandelion leaf and, um, you know, everybody knows about cranberry, Um, stinging nettle, horsetail. There's lots of different diuretic herbs that can increase urine production. And and what you're doing essentially is you're flushing. You're flushing out those bacteria uh, and giving them less of an opportunity to set up and and, uh, reproduce. Um, we've also got demulcents, which are soothing. If you think about uh, aloe gel, for example, that kind of cooling, slimy, um, moist um, kind of feeling, demulcent herbs can introduce that, um, whether you take them internally or use them externally. So, um, and there are some that are specific to the urinary system, uh, bearberry, corn silk, which is actually the, the stringy silk that you get when you buy corn on the cob. That's actually a medicinal herb. And it has a cooling, soothing effect um, to take some of the, the burning inflammation out of the, um, out of the picture. Uh, and, uh, and also astringents. So astringents are herbs which can uh, tighten up uh, inflammation, uh, which will, again, reduce the discomfort as well. And then, as I already mentioned, probiotics are really uh, an important part of the whole picture. Yeah, I love the tip on the probiotics and um, mm. 
applying it topically. That's uh, that's a really good tip. I, I would have never thought of that. So mm-hmm. that's really cool. Um, in terms of just as just an aside, when cranberry is chosen, please make sure that it's that good quality, sugar free, like the real thing, not the stuff you buy at most grocery stores because it's loaded with sugar and it'll totally defeat the purpose. And in terms of dandelion leaf, I'm really loving dandy blend. So I'm not sure if any of our listeners have tried dandy blend, but that I mean, it is a combination of other, it's not just dandelion leaf, but it definitely works as a diuretic for sure. If you take a little bit too much, I have personal experience with that, Mm -hmm. Um, but I I do quite enjoy uh, having a cup or two of that as well. The other thing that I really like to do with dandelion leaf, and this is becoming easier and easier nowadays because you can find the most luscious giant dandelion leaves at, at pretty much any grocery store nowadays, it's really kind of caught fire, is juicing. You put a couple of those giant leaves in your juicer and you'll get a little shot of, of juice. Uh, and, uh, and, and that has probably the quickest effect, far faster than if you were to make tea from dried dandelion leaves or, or what have you. Uh, it just goes right through you. So if you need immediate relief, get some of those leaves and stick them in your juicer. Amazing. It's bitter. It's bitter. It's an intense flavor, but the effect is uh, is profound. Yeah, well worth it for sure. If you're in that mm-hmm. intense pain, definitely. Um, great. Okay, so let's move on to. Is this our? Yeah, it is our last symptom that we've identified to help um, with perimenopause, and it's the risk of osteoporosis. So, this condition is quite common. Um, in women, and it increases with age, unfortunately. The silent thief that robs your skeleton of up to 25% of its bone mass by the time we reach 50. So that's a stat out there. Um, so it's real. And it um, first starts with a fracture, then loss of height, some back pain, maybe perhaps even tooth loss, bent posture are all early indicators of osteoporosis. And again, it's the drop in estrogen that affects the bone's ability to retain calcium. So if you are, to my dear listeners, experiencing any of those um, symptoms, please, please see a qualified practitioner and have, because you can actually test for this as well, bone density tests done um, and talk to your practitioner because it is something that uh, you can avoid for sure, even with exercise and some herbs that Chris is going to share with us right now. So yes, please take it away, Chris. I love the the silent thief. I haven't heard that before. That's um, that's a great term, and it really uh, um, underlines the fact that uh, it's not really a symptom of perimenopause. It's a result, and uh, it's very difficult to know if that's happening in your body unless you get help. You you uh, you know you you work with a doctor to 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 maintain bone health to really keep an eye on it. That's what we're trying to deal with here, what I'm trying to say. Um, and you're right, estrogen does play a role. Uh, and I, I really found this understanding helpful to me in terms of how to help people prevent it. Once osteoporosis has set in, it's quite difficult to reverse, uh, but it is quite easy to slow down, if not halt altogether. And I have a really interesting case about that to share with you shortly. So in very, very oversimplified terms, there are a couple of different types of cells in the body that are tasked with maintaining bone density. Um, we, we 
upregulate or downregulate bone density as needed. So if we are um, suddenly finding ourselves carrying a lot of weight, if we have suddenly started to engage in a weightlifting regimen at the gym, uh, or we're going up a lot of stairs all of a sudden, we are actually going to build bigger bones. We're going to pack on minerals and, and build denser bones. On the other side of that, if we are uh, suddenly spending a lot of time on the couch, oh, I don't know, let's say during COVID-19, uh, or uh, if somebody is bedridden and they're not asking as much of their bones, the, those minerals are going to be repurposed and the bones are going to become thinner. Um, it's so, the whole concept of if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah, use it or lose it. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and where estrogen comes into the picture is that uh, estrogen inhibits the activity of the cells which are tasked with breaking down bone density. So osteoblasts will build bone density, osteoclasts will reduce bone density, and estrogen uh, inhibits the act, uh, sorry, the activity of those osteoclasts. When estrogen is removed from the picture to a certain degree during perimenopause, those cells which break down bone are less inhibited and therefore um, able to uh, act in, in a more profound manner. So, so the activity between the two types of cells, the builders and the breakdowners, <laughs> uh, is out of balance. And so we see bones um, thinning faster than they can be rebuilt. Um, and so it's not just a matter of taking calcium which is what most people reach for and what most people are told to reach for. It's more complicated than that. Um, If we can introduce some of those phytoestrogenic herbs, we are going to see a slight bump in overall estrogen level. That's going to slow down um, that osteoporosis, that thinning of the bones, while we are also introducing minerals through dark leafy greens, through nuts, through... uh, uh, you know, a few different foods. Supplements are great. A multi-mineral is a good thing to do um, later in life. Those things work together um, to combat this problem. Another thing that's really, really important is exercise. Again, if you're, even if you're just going for a walk daily and you, you, you put a couple of rocks in your pocket or you carry wrist weights or ankle weights, that's going to put a little bit more pressure on your bones and encourage them to, uh, to stay stronger than they would otherwise. So exercise, especially weight-bearing exercise, is really, really, really important. Um, We need to go a little easier on the protein and salt. Definitely, we need to quit smoking, reduce alcohol and caffeine. Um, We can uh, take some steps to increase uh, stomach acid production. With more stomach acid, we are absorbing calcium uh, much more efficiently. So we want to improve gut health, and part of that is uh, stomach acid production. So there's lots of stuff outside of the herbal world that we can do, um, but it's important to do this ahead of time. We want to have good, strong bones, a good, healthy diet um, before any of this ever takes place. So um, I think all women that are of the age uh, where menopause is approaching, perimenopause is approaching, uh, to definitely get an exercise regimen, clean up the diet, Um, and make sure that your gut's functioning properly. It's just so important.
Yes. And I echo that for sure for all our listeners. So thank you. That was the wrap up of uh, the symptoms or some of the causes or um, end result of um, this transition. So now we're going to go into some case studies so we can actually get some real life case studies of how, what was the issue and how you address that issue with some of your herbal remedies so that you can really understand a little bit more how does this all come into play? Because they're not like, as you mentioned in our previous episode, they're not solo sort of symptoms that they appear, they kind of appear all together or some will have more than others. So the case studies will really illustrate that point. So go ahead, um, share with us some case studies, Chris. Okay, great. So these these three women are all people that I have worked with. Some of them I'm still working with, um, but they're just they're just great examples of the complexity of the situation and and how people can sometimes respond very well to herbs and sometimes you know not so much, not as much as we'd like. So the first case is a 41 year old woman who's married and mother of uh, one grown son, and her complaints were. Uh, frequent urinary tract infections, insomnia, um, irregular menstruation, uh, some mood issues. She kind of tended to swing between depression and anxiety, sometimes both at the same time. Uh, hot flashes um, and constipation. Uh, now, she was 41. Typically, perimenopause doesn't really start until m- the mid-40s. And she had already been dealing with this stuff for at least a year, if not two, before she called me so so quite early and as a result it hadn't even crossed her mind that what she was dealing with was was related to this transition at all um so uh the first thing that i wanted to do with her was deal with the um urinary tract infections uh and to try to get her to sleep um and have regular bowel movements uh i I felt that um a lot of her mood issues um, were related to her lack of sleep. This, this woman was sleeping two hours a night on a good night, uh, which is just horrendous to think about. So for sure. Yeah, I know it was pretty, it was pretty scary. So, um, we dealt with her. So the, what complicated things was that it wasn't necessarily ongoing urinary tract infection. It was more like chronic inflammation. There's something called, um, interstitial cystitis, which is it feels just like urinary tract infection uh, without the infection. Um, so, so I gave her some herbs to uh, prevent infection, to sort of stimulate her immune system, and to, um, to soothe that irritation. I gave her some herbs at bedtime, some sedative herbs that would help her fall asleep, along with some strategies for improving sleep hygiene, um, because she had just a racing mind all the time, um, and then some laxative herbs to help her have a more frequent bowel movement. <clears throat> With within three weeks, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, she had no bladder symptoms whatsoever and had been sleeping seven hours a night for the previous week. So that's a fantastic result. It doesn't always happen that fast and that profoundly, but she really, really responded well, which allowed us to switch into. Uh, phase two, uh, which was to really go after hormone regulation, uh, to introduce those phytoestrogenic herbs I talked about, and then to focus a little bit more on her mood and um, her digestive function, supporting the liver and the adrenal glands as well. So within three days 
of that phase two focus. She had a noticeable reduction in mood swings as well as in hot flashes and, uh, and her insomnia had improved even more. Um, so this is kind of an ongoing uh, protocol with her. She's still having trouble sleeping, um, but that's largely due to anxiety about sleeping. So she can't sleep. And then the next night she's terrified about not being able to go to sleep. So that, that's obviously um, something that she has to work on and is working on, but that's a, that's a slow process. Um, the end result of, of this essentially is that she came to me a couple months after starting treatment and she said, uh, and I quote, I feel like a different person, um, which is music to my ears. She was just, she, she did everything I asked her to do and, and, and reaped the rewards of that. So, um, I was just so happy for her just to see alone that she was getting a better sleep, uh, I think was uh, just sort of made it all worthwhile for me. For sure. And three weeks is not long at all. That's less than one month, considering how long she's had these symptoms mm-hmm. show up. And I think, yes, I love how you tackled sleep first because of that restorative mm-hmm. sleep is going to help with the other symptoms and also kickstart the healing process, right? It, you cannot heal if you're not sleeping like that. Exactly. It just has this, this profound cascade effect into every other aspect of life. So that's why um, I wanted to jump on that right away. And, and again, three weeks is very, very quick um, for a result like that. Um, she, just, she just bought in to the um, idea and she really committed to exercising, eating a clean and healthy diet and, uh, and just following the program. It, it's really the more effort you put in, the, the better the results. Mm-hmm. So the second case I wanted to mention um, is a little bit different. So this is a 69-year-old retired nurse who lives alone. She's isolated from friends and family, especially now, um, and uh, reached out largely due to insomnia, brain fog, and poor memory, uh, which could be a direct result of the insomnia. Uh, and osteoporosis, which had been diagnosed by her family doctor um, after a bone scan. So uh, insomnia is something that this patient had been dealing with for most of her life. uh, And she was taking a pharmaceutical sleeping pill uh, each night, which she wanted to get off of. We eventually did get her off of that, um, but it took a long time. Uh, My my main concern, pardon me, was the osteoporosis, which was quite severe at the time. So we started with a a formula that was a mixture of phytoestrogenic herbs, uh, you know, to try and head off the overactivity of those cells that uh, break down bone density, as well as some um, what we call nutritive herbs. So these are herbs that are really, really high in minerals like alfalfa and seaweeds and stinging nettle and things like that. Um, so we gave her a formula uh, for that and then also a sleep formula to help her wean herself off the sleeping pill. So uh, a year later, she had another bone scan, uh, which uh, produced some pretty amazing results. Again, it's difficult to reverse, um, but what we saw was that um, she had in that year zero bone density loss in her hips and only 3% bone density loss in her back, which for her age is normal. Um, Whereas before the treatment, she had been losing bone density 
at an accelerated rate. So we were actually able to really shut that bone loss down. Um, I think we probably could have seen a more improvement if she was able to uh, engage in weight-bearing exercise, um, but she was having some balance issues and, and a lack of energy, which again, I think was insomnia related to a degree. So she wasn't able to exercise the way we wanted her to, but through diet and herbs and improvements in, uh, in other areas of her life, uh, emotional as well as her sleep habits, uh, we got some pretty good results from that too. That's amazing news, like really good, some positive news for sure and results too, not in, in such a short period of time. I love it. I love it. And so our third case? Yes, our third case. Um, this is a 57-year-old married mother of two grown daughters. Um, she works an office job, but she's very active. She, she was already um, exercising like crazy. And one of her complaints was actually about um, uh, losing muscle mass. <clears throat> and that's just unfortunately something she has to make peace with because that's a, that's a, just a product of aging. But her, um, her complaints to me were mostly hot flashes and night sweats. Uh, she also complained of insomnia, but that was just due to her inability to regulate her temperature. She would wake up in a, in a sweat and have to toss the covers off and cool down before she could go back to sleep. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, she's also very stressed. She worked uh, a job that caused her an enormous amount of stress. So we had a few things that we had to look at. Um, though that treatment consisted of phytoestrogens, of course, and hormone regulation. Uh, I gave her some adaptogenic herbs, which are the ones that help the body um, deal with stresses of all types. Um, a sleep formula for bedtime, and then some dietary lifestyle changes. So this was a fairly complex approach. Um, I also tried to initiate some changes in her attitude towards aging, um, which I don't think were very successful, but that's an ongoing project. <laughs> you know, when, when we, when we um, put our feelings of self-worth into our physical appearance, uh, as we age, that's going to, you know, make that transition very difficult because nobody's figured out how to stop the aging process yet. Fingers crossed for the future, but not looking so good right now. So changing our attitudes towards aging, right? Working on acceptance and, um, uh, and, uh, and even loving those changes that are happening uh, can, really, can really go a long way. That was not really the case in this situation. However, with the herbs and the diet and lifestyle changes, um, after about a month, she found that she was sleeping better and had better temperature control during the day and the night. Um, but that her hot flashes were now also showing up during the day. So the flashes were not as severe, um, but they had now started not just showing up at night. Um, after three months, uh, she wasn't really um, seeing the kind of improvement that I was hoping for. Uh, and then another three months after that, um, still kind of the same thing. So, so we had a conversation and I actually learned that she was taking about half as much of the herbal formula that she was supposed to. No way. Yeah. Oh, why? I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if she was not measuring properly the way I gauge it is that I give. Um, I tend to, to offer tinctures for the most part because um, they just tend to be the, the most effective type of remedy. Um, and I give it a, a bottle that has a specific 
length of time that it will last, right? In a, in a 100 milliliter bottle, if you take five milliliters a couple times a day, the math works out so that that bottle will be finished after a certain period of time. She got through her medicine uh, half as quickly as she was supposed to. So after three months, that bottle should have been long gone, but she was only about two thirds of the way through it. And so I'm, I, I asked her directly, you know, are you taking the dosage that I recommended? And she said, no, I forget sometimes. And, you know, I take, I don't like the taste of it. So I don't take as much and whatnot. So I said, look, if you take it as we've dosed it, it's going to work better, which made sense to her. So she adjusted her dosage and then, about two months after that, she really started to respond. So the hot flashes were significantly reduced. The night sweats also, her insomnia was better. Um, her anxiety was better, right? Her, her concern about her self-image, um, which was fueled by hormone imbalance, had improved. So we did start to see some, some changes. But again, I included this one. You know, anytime somebody asks me about case studies, I always want to bring out the show ponies and, you know, show all the great success stories. But it's also important to manage expectations. And um, and not everybody is going to feel profoundly different after three weeks, like that first case. This was a situation, this case in particular, um, is, is a slower process. We are seeing positive results, but sometimes uh, it takes a while. Yes, um, I agree. But I, I hope that this has given our listeners some hope for sure, lots of hope that mm -hmm. things can be addressed, things can be alleviated, and things, the symptoms could also be prevented as well. And it reminds me of this quote from Hippocrates, a father of modern medicine, that he says, if someone wishes for good health, one must first ask oneself if he is ready to do away with the reasons for his illness. Only then is it possible to help him. So it just goes to show you that you really need to put in the work as well. It's not going to be a magic pill that's going to help you alleviate or even prevent some of these things. It's you need to do the work and you need to be able to have that self-awareness, but also have that motivation to be able to um, just stick with it. And then if it is some sort of, you know, obviously chemical, biochemical issue, then work with that as well. Because sometimes it's like, okay, I don't have serotonin or dopamine. How can I be motivated? And yay, let's do this type of thing. That's chemically, I don't have those neurotransmitters that help with that. So you need to deal with that um, as well. Which brings me to our next sort of segment, which is our last segment of the day. Some tips and DIYs. And I got that right this time. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that you went... Um, you, we, we've talked about these and it's exercise and dealing and managing stress, obviously adopting a very nutrient dense whole foods diet, um, having a, some sort of sleep routine, um, getting your liver and digestion. I mean, you really brought um, the point home with regards to gut health and what you can do um, to help with your microbiome because it is it's probably along with our hormones, it's really what's um, what's what's the captain of us? What's the, the leader? That's what's actually keeping us going is uh, probably our microbiome and our hormonal system. And, um, and then you have build positive attitudes. So if we had to choose one, uh, if you had to choose one, because I'm asking you this question, um, which one would you say, maybe, I don't know, maybe to start with, that is probably the easiest thing that our listeners can, can probably do today 
and maybe adapt what they're currently doing or have like a total overhaul and change. Um, if, if it was up, up to you, who would you, what would you recommend? That is a very tough question. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, it, I like, I refer back to the definition of insanity, right? Where you, you keep doing the same thing, but expecting different results. Uh, you do have to put in the work and, Again, it depends really on where a person is deficient. You know, if you if you eat pretty well and you exercise, but you have a horribly stressful lifestyle, you need to work on your stress. If you, um, you know, have managed certain things, but you eat lots of fast food, that's where you need to focus. I think probably the easiest thing for people to do is to um, change how you eat. You know, and that is going to improve your health across the board. Um, from a holistic perspective, we want to improve as much of a person's health as possible. And there's no better way to do that than by improving the fuel that you put into your body. So, you know, the, the very generalized rules of eating less processed food, sugar, additives, you know, that fake stuff. And eating more whole foods, fresh fruits, vegetables, um, you know, complex carbs and uh, healthy proteins and fats. That, that's probably the most fundamental part of all of this, I think. Amazing. And my favorite one, considering I'm a holistic nutritionist. So thank you. <laughs> Is that why you chose that one? Oh, part of it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Chris, for your time for part the, and I'm sure we're going to have uh, part three, four and five and six, and we can really, really narrow and drill down some of these um, maybe remedies or maybe come talk to us about some case studies, but we'll definitely invite you back. And I'm sure our listeners are thrilled to have you back as well. Um, so just tell us what um, you've been up to and where can people find you? And then we'll Call that a wrap. Okay. Um, I look forward to our next conversation. Absolutely. This was really fun. Thank you for having me on. Uh, as far as where to reach me, uh, it's pretty simple. My my brand is Chris the Herbalist, um, and that's w uh, where it all lives. So my website is chrisstheherbalist.com, and all of my so social media is Chris the Herbalist. So, um, uh, so that's where to reach me. Uh, please be in touch if, uh, if there's anything I do I can do to help you. And um, uh, yeah, I, I can't wait till next time. Thank you so much again for joining the Self Care Goddess podcast and helping us keeping the conversation going by empowering women to discover such wonderful and awesome holistic herbal therapies to help us thrive in the pursuit of good health happiness and vitality as we age. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So grateful for you. And I can't wait to have you back on the show. Thanks Take so much. care. Bye everyone. Take care. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking part of your day and sharing it with me by listening to this amazing podcast episode. I would also like to thank our sponsors, St. Lucian CMOS. Check them out and get some awesome CMOS at www.stlucianseamoss.co. If you enjoyed this podcast and it was helpful, please share it with your loved ones or a friend and check out SavoyaSelfCare.com for more amazing wellness tips. Please also leave us a rating now on Apple Podcasts. Take a screenshot and send it to info at SavoyaSelfCare.com. We will reply with a gift as a grateful thank you. If you want to upgrade your healthy living and take it to the next level, be sure to join us next week. And remember, 
Self-care is not selfish, it's self-love. Ciao for now.